I see, I saw three people. There's only 11 people in the room just now, and three people on that list got deals this week. Wow. So we're starting to see a little bit of movement, guys. You know, we're, we're in a recession. People are dying. People are starving to death, and we're still getting deals, you know, so it's something to say about this group. You know, I don't think it's anything special about what we're doing or the, the strategies or anything, but I think it's the individual, the people that are not going to take no for an answer. Some of us are, are too oblivious to even know that we're in a recession. We don't know what's going on. We're just working on nine to five. Bam, get a deal. So I think it's pretty cool to watch, man. It's fun. It's fun to be a part of it. You know, like literally my cousin's on here. She actually got two deals in the last seven days. Melissa's on here. So congrats to her. She's been coming to the cause for a long time and, she showed up to like three in-person events where I spoke and, you know, she was just always consistently there and then bam, two deals in a week. So we see this over and over and over again. And the other, the people that are kind of around us the most and the ones that are participating and listening and then doing what we teach. Well, sure enough, it works. Like you don't say we're covering our day, Daniel. We're covering being truthful in negotiations because it's a leverage point. I was muted. Ooh. So for everybody here, thanks for coming. Happy Tuesday. Uh, end of the year is coming up. I know there's a lot of people working right now. All the stuff we're doing for is for next year. So put in the work and we'll see some results next year for all the work we're doing today. Today we're covering negotiations, a little bit in negotiations. Anthony is very, very skilled at what he does. And he gets better the more he talks to sellers. So if you're struggling with sales... Talk to more sellers is I think the, is a key point, but I kind of I kind of want to go over what his pitch is because it's adapted and grown over time, and it's gotten really really good now. It's gotten really really good. So if you want to start off like where where you started previously, and then how it's adapted to what it looks like now, as far as your pitch when you're talking to agents and sellers, Anthony. Yeah, sorry, two seconds. I'm getting out of my truck. You good? You I was good. Say, you might have to help me with this one because sometimes uh. You help me trigger off things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's what I do, man. I'm the sounding board. <laughs> yeah, Daniel. Daniel's the hive mind, bro. Gives me a lot of energy, lots of good ideas. Sometimes I'm giving them the world's best ideas. Like, nah, dude, ain't never going to work like that. Here's what you got to do. And uh, I think it's for one, being around somebody that uh, polishes you that way, where they can tell you like, hey, no, I don't think you should do that. I think we should do this. And then also, um, you know, somebody that, that does feed your ideas. Like when you do have an excellent idea, they're not just being a hater. Like, no, it's never going to work. Like he's literally like, no, 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 here's what we can do. Let's do that. But let's also add this. And that's a never ending conversation that, you know, sometimes we're on the phone for four, six, eight hours a day, just, uh, you know, thinking of the next thing, the next angle. And if somebody doesn't have that, if you don't have access to a person like that in your life, I suggest you find them quickly, whether that's God, you know, whoever that is, you should have somebody that's a sounding board, somebody that you can vibe with, share ideas with. And then help you expand on those ideas. And then when you have an idea that's not amazing, yeah. uh, to, to, to quickly move away from that and expand into something else. I'm always willing to try something once, no matter what the, what the, what the, what the thing is. But one thing I'll say too is, I, I just sometimes I just listen to phone calls. And I don't even say a thing. Like he'll just patch me in and I'll just listen. So a lot of this is I just give him constructive feedback on his calls. So it's not necessarily like, I'm like, I'm not a national negotiator. I just... I've I've picked up on different things he says different times and like I said it's just it's just constant practice and working out that muscle. So one thing I noticed when he first started doing it, it was always he he used to it was always like if you guys have been with us in this room a long time, we we've kind of developed our pitch even in this room. So we, every time we 
hear something new or we try to adapt it, it always comes across differently over and over again, just because we're, we're always adapting how we pitch it. So before we were just asking sellers for seller finance, and now we're trying to pitching more to like partnership innovation. And again, it's kind of growing into we're a service provider. Whereas before we would represent ourselves as buyers. Right now we're trying to like, hey, you have a problem property. You have a problem property that doesn't move and it's hard to move. And we are able to facilitate that transaction. So we're trying to position ourselves almost like advisors. And we'll, we'll put money on. We'll put money down. We'll put our skin in the game. Like we're very serious about this. But we're very into transitioning the conversation because most time buyers are bullies and we try and be a friend and yeah, that, go ahead Anthony. i was gonna say that's something that that we've always done in the past is instead of us going in you know you have people like oh the property is a piece of mess it's a junk it needs a lot of work there's no way i could pay that we come in and like my property looks amazing and they like it and this house has a lot of character this property is absolutely beautiful you never tell them how terrible the property is. Why would you say that? Right? And then also not being fake, being very genuine, you know, point out things that you actually like about the property that, that puts them in the right frame of mind where they don't feel like they're your opposition. You know, they feel like, yeah, right. It is awesome. Right. And then bam, you get that synergy going with that seller. Yeah. And then one thing, one thing is that we've been positioning ourselves as not the buyer. Like we'll tell them straight up. We're not the buyer, but you put money down. We can become the buyer if you need us to, but we may not be the buyer. So I think solidifying like where you stand in the transaction kind of goes a long way. One thing that I think Anthony, he's he does almost on every transaction, every phone call that I've seen, is that we're not the buyer at this at your price cash. He makes that very, very well known early on up front that we're not buying this cash at that price point right now. And most times the sellers are like, oh, well, just write an offer. Tell us where you're at. We just want feedback, you know, and then we come in with our creative offer. But we always, we always, I think Anthony's very upfront with the, uh, we're not buying this cash at your price. Yeah, I think it does a couple of things. It lets it, for one, you take out the lying, right? You take out the fakeness saying, yes, man, I'm going to write you a check for $6 million out of my account, right? We don't do that at all. It's not part of our pitch. It's not part of our culture. So early on, like saying, hey, you know, if the property's worth two and a half, but Jasmine's on this call. We offer a million cash. Seller was like, I can't take it. I'll give you one, one, right? So we we're cl- slowly creeping up. To, we're like at one, three properties appraised at two, five. So, and then the lady's adamant. She just wants cash, 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 no creative. So our cash offer is very low, right? We let them know that I cannot buy it at this price. But what we just talked about, maybe, you know, before last weekend, Jasmine's on the call. We, we went over it. I told her, hey, tell her we'll give her her full asking price, but we're not going to buy it. We will go in there, improve the property, and then sell it for her at that price. like More like a novation agreement. right? So again, in the spirit of transparency, and this is exactly our pitch over and over and over again, we don't, we don't deviate. Today, Gabriel's in the office with a friend of his looking at some deals, and I said the same thing. Uh, they were like, should we just pass on this property? Did you make the two offers? I'm like, huh? Look at me like I'm on a spaceship. We always make the two offers. Yep. What are they, Daniel? A full price with long-term seller financing and a 50% of the dollar cash price. 
every time every time and the reason why is because that buyer if we negotiate with that seller to the end we're somewhere in there yeah, <laughs> we're somewhere we're somewhere in those parameters so we start off where we want to be on both both ends think about that guys i know uh, people in this room right now i know you're doing it the seller gives you a crazy high price you can't see it and then you just go ghost on that seller yeah. like something you guys have to remember is think about how hard of a time you have coming up with a value for a property you personally as a professional or a wannabe real estate investor how difficult is it for you to come up with a realistic number for that property so what in the world makes us think that these sellers know what the property's worth they give you a crazy high number you lose confidence and then you don't make the offer you're the professional real estate investor you only have two offers to make one of them's low cash and then one of them's creative and that's it and if they don't want to budge on either okay ma'am the property sounds amazing i'm sorry we couldn't make this work is it okay if i follow up with you in a couple of months and see how you're doing it goes into a crm it could be hive mind it could be a free podio it could be anything and now every 90 days they get dripped on that says did you sell the property yet and that's it guys there's no rocket science if so you guys make one thing i really want to hit on this is time 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 there we have done so many deals where all we do is make that connection make the offer and we wait time yeah, something something you guys think about is that like if the seller doesn't say yes right now i just lost i just lost the, the negotiation but time's on your side right because you have a million other sellers to talk to chances are that person only has one property so time's in your favor, right? So if you got to revisit them in two months or three months, that's fantastic. But are you going to talk to a thousand sellers in those 90 days while you're waiting for this guy? Or are you going to hold your breath and see what this guy says again? Because you thought it was a great property. Yeah. So time, time, time. So we always make the offer. So even our team struggles with this. So don't don't take it uh, personal. But make the offer. Make the offer and wait. <laughs> you know? So first thing we always do is we solidify... And I guess we should make a, make a PowerPoint or something with this. Maybe somebody can take notes and make produce it later. But one is we solidify we're not the buyer at that at their price for cash. Number two is we actually make the offer. Hey, we're going to be some. We can do your price if we do some type of terms, or our cash price is going to be somewhere around half, just because cash is expensive. Number three, if right now is not the right time, I understand. We can always follow up with you in the, in the past. But sometimes like, no, no, we're ready, to, we're ready to have that conversation now. Then it circles back to number four. So we're digging into the conversation as far as what, what, are, what are their needs and wants for the transaction. And I think this is kind of digging into your, your sales of what does the seller need. Right, Anthony? Yep. And this is something that I think we forget, right? Because we're all in sales. We all need to make money for our families and uh, you know, for ourselves to, to stay alive and to have a high quality of life. But you forget there's another person at the end of the phone. Yep. Right? Those people, they're not robots. They're not, they're not your adversary. <laughs> right? This is a normal guy. It's a grandpa. It's somebody's dad. It's somebody's mom. You know, somebody's granddaughter. So if you come in and you ask great questions, like, hey, you know, you said you had a full price offer on this thing. You know, why did you sell to that guy? Yep. Well, he said he wanted a nine-month option. Well, what's wrong with a nine-month option? You know, what's wrong with that? Like, why well, I, I can't take that long. Why is something pressing? Is time against you in some way right now? Like, can you tell me a little bit more about uh, what uh, what the big problem is with, with you having to wait nine months? 
well, I don't care about waiting the nine months. I just want to know that I have a for sure buyer. I don't want somebody to waste nine months of my time and then back out. Boom. Now we've identified a better problem, right? So ma'am, what if I gave you a hundred thousand dollars when I signed the contract that that goes to in your pocket if I don't buy this property so that way you know I'm not going to waste nine months of your time, right? And it's just asking those good questions, genuinely caring. Um, like Daniel said, being transparent. A lot of times, once I know they have a high number, I'll tell them up front. Just, hey, I'm not going to be able to do it at that number at all. You know, I'm, I'm not going to, for one, I'm not going to remove the money from my family's bank account, my kid's bank account, and put it in yours. I'm just not going to do that. It doesn't make sense at that price. But I have a couple of different ideas of how we can get this done uh, w- without me being the buyer. And then you qualify. Is that something that, that you'd like to hear more about? We got right. a couple questions. We'll jump into qualifying here in a second. Do Jason it. asks, uh, get uh, get quite a bit of agents blocking. How do you get past the gatekeeper? Okay, if you have agents blocking, it's because you're, you're trying to t- remove them out of the transaction uh, uh, subconsciously, one way or another. You're, be- you're undermining their position, right? So you got to respect the gatekeeper. You got to pay the gatekeeper, right? When the ferryman takes you to heaven, you got to leave the two coins over your eyes, right? You got to pay the doorway. <laughs> One thing, I'll say, one thing I'll say to this is you, whatever you're saying is is turning them off. It could be you're, too, you're too, coming too strong. You may be not showing authority. Whatever you're doing is throwing them off. So one, we always tell them, hey, we're going to we're gonna pay agent commissions. We tell them straight up front, like, we're not trying to cut you out. We're going to pay agent commissions. You can, you can kind of, you can try and like circumvent some of these, like these, like my, not necessarily basic questions, but minor hurdles that the agent might give you, but like, Hey, we're going to pay commissions. No problem. It's not, a, it's not an issue. Like we just, we're trying to get a deal done. If you want to get a deal done, let's just make it work. Now, I, the last thing to do is if the, if the agent stonewalls you just keep track of the agent and just keep track of the property. Whenever it falls off the MLS, because if that agent is stonewalling that transaction, which happens, it happens a lot more than you think. Just follow up with the seller directly whenever it falls off. So we had an opportunity with Marvin, who's driving right now. A deal we uh, the deal was that the agent agent stonewalled us. It fell off market. It was listed for I think a year, and it fell off market. So the agent couldn't sell it. Now we're having a conversation with the seller. So there comes to the point where once the gatekeeper falls off, now it's your time to strike. So work with the gatekeeper as much as they want. Try and level the playing field where you're not trying to overpower them because they get defensive really easily. Yep. So I think it's about getting them on your side, right? Again, saying, hey, I I work with agents all the time. I freaking love working with agents because that that means I have to do a lot less work on my side. You know, saying phrases like that automatically makes that person see you as an ally instead of a threat. Yep. So, yeah, saying cool things like that, man, I love working with agents. The best deals I do are with agents because you guys totally get the game. You know how all this stuff works. It makes my job so much easier. Thank you so much. You just said, write that down because they love hearing that. They love the the, the confirmation bias. Like, oh, I, I'm bringing value to the transaction. Feed their ego. Edward, Edward says it right there. You feed their ego and they, they fall right into that. So if you're getting feedback, feed their ego. And this, this is something that we wanted to talk about. So we, we called this call. What was it, Daniel? Being truthful to get better. Well, I don't even know what we called it. Be a monster closer or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but all it was is getting people on your side, right? And you don't do it in a cheesy way. You do it in a genuine way, right? And and even if you're not good at this, you can practice it on the, the, the cashiers at the grocery store. You can practice it anywhere when you're in public, right? And the way you treat people, the way you speak to people, the way you make people feel. If you go around making people feel amazing all day long by the things that you say, 
you'll notice that everybody around you is in a good mood. And if somebody's in a terrible mood, sometimes you can quickly lift them out of it, right? Because you're genuine, you're feeling it, you have the energy, you're giving people energy, and then you just start to walk around like that, right? So when you're talking to a seller and you say things like, oh man, this is one of the nicest properties I've seen lately. This, the, the thing was so, that pond, oh my goodness, the, all I've never seen so many oaks on a property. So when you're telling somebody how amazing what they have is, you're keeping them like in the emotional state of their brain, right? Instead of like the, the analytical part of the brain, you can't be in two, uh, two different parts of the brain at once, right? You have your reptilian brain, like fight or flight, when you're going to go into defense or attack somebody, that's probably what's happening when you're arguing with the sellers on the phone and telling them their property's crap, right? And then they have their analytical brain where they're trying to do the math and trying to make the numbers work with you. And then you can ha keep them in an emotional state as well, right? Through praise and, and compliments and, and also genuinely caring about them, asking them to tell you a little bit about the history of the property. How did you end up with such a beautiful property? You know, um, you know you've had it for 20 years. Like, that's amazing. Like, how did, how did you end up in this life position? Right. So, yeah, like, like Daniel says, as, as you're building people up, uh, you keep them in that frame of mind where they need to be to, to have a seamless transition where they're just not too focused on the numbers. We've had people, a guy sold us a, a property, 30,000 less than his highest offer just because he was filling our vibe. Right. And there was no there was no logic there at all. But if you're arguing with a guy about percentages and ARVs and values and all that, you're keeping them in that in that analytical part of his brain and you're never going to get anybody like, there like that. So. One, one, I want to dig into this feeding the ego. So uh, somebody asked, uh, James Ding asked about more about feeding the ego. So Anthony does this with no matter who he's talking to. So if he's talking to the agent, he feeds the ego of the agent. Like, yeah, we love working with the agents because that they make the transaction so much easier. Our agents, every time we do a deal with the agent, it's, a, it's the easiest transaction. It's the smoothest transaction we ever have. So if you feed the ego of the agent and then he feeds the ego of the seller, he's talking to the seller directly. Hey, you have a beautiful property. How long have you owned it? He's always asking those, those creative questions just to get um, an actual conversation out of the seller too. So he's always feeding into, no matter who he's talking to, he's trying to pull it out because he wants them in the emotional side of the brain. So let's go over a real world example. This week, we signed a contract for a ranch, 243 acres for $2 million. Somebody on this call uh, was exposed to the hive mind about maybe less than 40 days ago. He was actually one of the speakers at our live event, came and, and killed it, of course, at the event on stage, uh, really caught the bug for investing in land. His very first deal is a $2 million contract, just over $2 million contract. And there was an agent on that deal. So I would like to uh, bring up Mr. Daniel to the stage, Daniel Burke. Aguero to the stage. So tell us a little bit about how you find the lead, how the conversation went, how did you get the agent on your side? Can you just give us the whole flow, how you went from knowing nothing about land to having a $2 million contract? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, I, I guess the the key thing here, and this is what I've, I've appreciated about you and, and Daniel since uh, I first met you guys, is I, I think the speed to performance in any any opportunity, any vehicle comes from being partnered with people who you can learn from mentor with Babe. Ooh, yeah we're good cool I, I again I'd, I'd actually say i think a big part of this is in part because of you guys right like yes i made a phone call i can talk about that in a second but 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 it was only because i had this line of communication with you guys where again if you're in this group right now if you're in this mastermind if you're not texting daniel and anthony regularly and asking questions live and in real time they might not be able to get back here in 30 seconds, but I guarantee if you ask for help, they will help. So I think that's one of the key things uh, to all of this. But yeah, I found this uh, found this opportunity by doing a Zillow search for 
listings above a million dollars, over a hundred acres there in Texas around San Antonio. And I just scrolled to the bottom, uh, scrolled to the bottom on, on stuff that had been on the longest. And I started picking up the phone and, and calling over a couple calls. I built out a script that uh, essentially I just gleaned from having conversations with Anthony and Daniel and Brewster and all the, you know, the awesome, smart people in this group. And when I got on the, the call, I think the, the, what maybe felt a little different was I just asked questions. I didn't try and close it on the spot. I didn't try and put an offer out. I, tr I tried to ask questions, treat them like a human being uh, who is doing the best that they can and treat them like a professional because that's what we are. We're professionals and we should treat everyone as a professional. Um, treat them as they're an equal, right? Like they're, they're on your side. They're on the same team as you. So yeah, building them up and appreciating them and asking for help, uh, looping them in, um, yeah, and then ultimately uh, positioning the idea uh, towards the end of the call of, um, hey, there's a couple different ways we could do it. We could offer cash right out, but I see this has been listed for a long time. And so it would probably be significantly less than ask, or we could explore something you know, where there's where there's a creative finance option. You know, there's a couple different ways to do it, but would your sellers be open to something non-traditional, more creative, like an owner carry or a, a you know a, some type of you know creative situation? And she said yes, and that's where it all started. So one thing I one thing I'll say to this is even if you don't have access to our phone number, you can post in the group. You can DM us. You have access different ways to access right. us in different ways. We do try and respond as as a. Uh, speedily as possible, but sometimes it's harder. <laughs> Some days it's harder than others. So it's one of those things where like, I, th I think, I think I tell people this all the time, scroll to the bottom of Zillow, search on, search on the property, scroll to the bottom of Zillow. And uh, how many hours do you think you dedicated to cold calling Daniel? Probably that it was uh, probably in that first week, 15 to 20, somewhere around there. Like, yeah. uh, I mean, like I had some, I had other things to do, but I just, I saw an opportunity and I wanted to one thing about me is I can fixate on things pretty easily, both is very positive and to my detriment. And I fixated on on this, and so I made a bunch of phone calls. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I, I, it's, a, it's a superpower and a curse, definitely. Yeah, I was, I, that's the first thing I thought of is like, so, and I think you can do that with anything, right? Yeah. If you know you have an eating disorder, right? There's mind games you can play with yourself to say, hey, look, I'm not going to have the things that I like to eat until I finish this whole salad. Or you can use things that don't work because everybody has things that don't work in their brain right and if anybody says otherwise i'm going to say your fos because i know a lot of high performers and we all have something a little wrong with us um but you can use those things that that are like yeah not your best strong points and you can make those your superpower mm -hmm. but people are so afraid to touch those tools they don't use them and i, I do what daniel does and i don't know daniel very well because i've only known him for like six weeks or something but I do the same thing. I know that I hyper fixate on things. So I try to make it good things. I try to use that to, uh, for working out for my business, right? For taking business calls. I try to just dump all my energy into something that would actually show uh, progress. And, and maybe that's unhealthy, right? I talk to a psychiatrist and like, you're a maniac. You're not supposed to do that. But <laughs> you can use that to your super, uh, as a superpower. If you know you get fixated on things, get in front of that phone, get in the phone booth and, and start making phone calls. Call 800 people all in one day. Right. But somebody on this call is like, you're not going to talk to eight people in the next 40 days. So try to find out what, you know, know yourself, know what, know what, what makes you tick and then use those as your strengths. So going back into this again, real quick, I wanted to cover a little bit about how being honest and being transparent is actually a pretty cool superpower to have. 
because the only time when you need to use like negativity, right? Like, like manipulation, use tools like that. And, and they're very popular in sales, right? Those tools. The only time you need to use that is if you're selling a product, right? That doesn't have any value or you're promoting a system or a service that doesn't have any value. But, you know, I, I talked about this on the podcast. I think it was Kendall Lejeune's podcast where I was saying, like, I felt like if I let this person down, if they end up not selling me their property, then I did them a major disservice because now they're never going to know what I'm capable of. They're never going to know the excellent experience that I could have provided to them. They're never going to know it now. And it's all my fault. I let those people down. So I know for a fact that when I'm in a negotiation, I'm providing something amazing. Like I know, I feel like I'm one of the best at what I do. And even if I, wherever I fall short, my integrity makes up for it, right? Because I really do have their best interests in mind. We do a lot of deals where we don't get paid anything, right? And if you're on this call, I've probably helped you in some way and, and expected nothing in return. We just do it all the time. So again, learned behaviors, practice learned behaviors. If I'm on the phone with a seller and I'm telling them something, like I'm super genuine about it. Like literally, I know how to help you. I know what I can do. I know what your experience is going to be like if you decide to go with us. So you're talking with that conviction and you're letting these people know, because yes, I'm the man for the job. Like I'm going to do something amazing in your life if you give me the opportunity. But also, if you don't give me the opportunity, well, you know, then best of luck to you, right? Because it's a rough world out there. So I, th I think that's, that's really a big, become a huge part of our pitch is that we know we have something awesome to provide. We know we're going to do right by them. Sometimes we pay overpay right? What we had already agreed upon with the seller. I have one live right now uh, where we had already agreed on like 297 for two five acre tracks. The guy wanted to bump it up to like 317. And then finally, after we signed to get it in the contract, I promised him 322. I haven't even signed the amendment, but guess what? He's getting 322 just because he wanted more money. Could I have shot him down? Sure. But he wanted, he needed the money. He justified I me. Mean, he, he said he wanted it. I could still fit it in a deal. Here, have some more money, whatever. I don't know why he needs it that bad, but but here you go. All right, so overpaying uh, when you can, when it makes sense. You know, hearing those things, right? Because I even told that guy, him and his wife looked this up on YouTube. And uh, I said, hey, look, I know you don't know me at all, but what I'm telling you right now is that I promise I'll over deliver. I can tell you that. And he says, you know, Anthony, he says, me and my wife looked you up. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> he's like, and uh, we saw your videos and stuff. And he's like, we just, we want to do business with a company like yours. He's like, I know who you guys are. I know, I know where you're coming from. And uh, we just want to do the deal with you. So I, th I think that's everything, man. If you're just ultimately transparent, if you're prov providing an excellent, excellent service, you really do over-deliver. People are just going to hear it in your voice. They're just going to hear it. And they're going to want to do deals with you. And then things magically happen, you know. Things just, you're just always in the right place at the right time. You say the right things to the right person, and then the sellers just see it. They're like, no, I feel it. I know it's you. I want, I want to do the deal with you. And you kind of cover the offer. I have the document ready to show that's uh, blurred out, but can you cover where the offer came from and why it, why it, why it worked? And I'll show it right here in a second. Uh, which one? Um, the 243? Yeah. Cover the offer you said? Yeah, so we got it. We got the deal for it's it uh, listed for like two four and some change, right? Two four. Uh, we got we got it on a country for two million though. Yeah, two million sixty. Two million sixty, and we we're putting sixty down. Let's say two four divided by two forty three. It was listed for ninety eight seventy six an acre. When we've been selling stuff in this area for like seventeen to thirty five an acre, so we're at like I don't know thirty cents on the dollar or something. 
Um, but we ended up getting it for two zero six zero two million sixty thousand divided by two forty three eighty four seventy seven. So we're like a uh, a thousand under asking, or about twenty percent off of asking price. How do we come up with this extra sixty thousand on top of that two million? Uh, we we offered two million and we shook on it with the agent. Right, we haven't talked to the seller at this point, but uh, when we sent the offer over. She was like, oh, you guys didn't include my fee in your down payment, right? Because we offered 400000 down. And I'm like, okay, don't worry about it. We'll write it up. And she's like, whoa, but you guys are paying the agent, not the seller. Because <laughs> got, we got a discount. We got seller finance with 0% interest. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll pay the agent fee, right? 60 grand, 3% of $2 million. Uh, so that's how we ended up with a funny number like that. But that was it, you know, getting the, the agent on our side letting her know that we can perform, share the vision, right? Our contract says that we have the right to market the property to other investors and other bu- uh, other buyers, right? So we can show the property while we're under contract now. Um, yeah, we lots of cool stuff. And our assigns, boom. Yeah, yeah, it's a, an assignable contract. I mean, there's just a lot of cool things about the and way then this, this one, We got 18 month financing, 4,500 a month. Yeah, so do the, let's do the math on the loan, right? Let's, let's understand the gravity here. Let's say... Two million sixty thousand four hundred sixty k down. Uh, what's our balance forward? One six. Okay, so one six. Uh, even on the thirty year AM with no interest, what's your monthly? It's forty five hundred. I did the math earlier. Boom, zero interest. Forty five hundred. So every single payment that goes in there goes one hundred percent to the mortgage. Now, let's do a, a average bank loan right now. Today's market. Let's say you were lucky and you got. Eight percent financing on one six. Eight percent financing on one six is eleven seven a month. Eleven thousand seven hundred. Mm-hmm. So if if you guys if you're if you're working with a very smart investor right, and I, and I don't even know if he does this like a like a Clint Turner, he's like an engineer type, right? And uh, you go and you get financing from a bank, and you have an excellent credit. You have eight hundred and fifty credit score, and you have a big fat line of credit at your bank, and then you go and you borrow. $1.6 million or 260 to take this transaction down. Now you're paying 12,000 a month to that bank while you're under contract. But by us cutting out the middleman, you go out and we give ourselves a $1.6 million loan and uh, our payments half of what it should be or almost, a third of what a third, it should be. Almost a third. Yeah. So I think that's the, the, the gravity of what we're doing. It's like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Parlor tricks, you know, sub two, creative finance. We're all doing it. Everybody's doing it in real estate. But if you can go out and give yourself a $2 million loan every single week for the rest of your life at 0% interest, you're going to have a significant life. Like just things are always going to be happening around you that are not normal. So you said we got, to, um, how, how much do you think the ARV is on this one? Um, Man, just guessing, right? Because we have a lot of construction costs on this one. We're actually going to have to bring in a road over a mile long. But let's just say for, for round number's sake, we had 240 acres divided by 10 acre lots, 24 lots. And we sold 24 lots at a, a fairly, you know, median to low price. I've never sold land this cheap before. 150,000 per 10 acre lot. It's like roughly three and a half million dollars, right? Minus construction costs. So if we spent 500,000 on a road and 100,000 paying agents or more, you know, it's roughly like a million profit. Yeah, it's a good deal. And again, that that number can again that that can go up if there's more clearing to do of trees. Once you have a big giant ranch remodeling, there's no fixed costs. It's just the, the costs just do what they do, and you have to be prepared for that. But that's also why you got to have 
deals that are heavily padded. You know, if we would have took this deal on and we said, oh man, it seems to be a $350,000 spread in here. It's just not a deal at all. Not at all, at all, at all. That deal is going to come apart in two seconds because yeah, yeah, you, yeah you, you're, you reach some place where the sand's real soft and you got to bring in an extra 50 truckloads of, of clay, you know, then that you're done. Your that little hundred thousand dollar spread you thought you had it just goes up in smoke. And I just worked for a year and a half for free, just to pay your investors back. Yeah. So, so I think uh, one one thing I'll say to this too is like um, negotiating partial solar financing. We covered this at the event. We covered this a couple weeks ago. But you can use different strategies for different things based off where the price point is. So this one was just a, a large down payment, which is like twenty five percent down or twenty percent down and short-term financing and then we can do we have time to do what we do and then value add the property and sell it so it's all about being creative with the capital and negotiations with the seller yeah i think the main thing that made me feel comfortable on this deal is that there's zero percent interest which i like a lot because then if we had to sell some stuff on seller finance along the way we could we could make a huge spread on on selling some of the lots you know and, and have that cash flow for 18 months while we're working on this thing i think that was a, a huge driver that they gave us Almost two full months to close. I would have liked a lot more, like maybe ninety days, but that we could make it work with the sixty. Uh, well, so I didn't like that. They gave us the eighteen months seller financing. Yeah, literally, if they didn't give us eighteen months seller financing, like if they needed cash, you know, like if we if they wanted that two million cash and close in uh, three months or six months, there's just no way. There's just no way. We don't want. We're not going to sink three million into one deal to squeeze out one million. It just doesn't make sense. But if we shell out, you know, five, six, eight hundred on a deal, you know, to make a mill, mill and a half, then, then we could probably make that work because it's a guaranteed win. So even if we slow bake this thing, right, in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to I'm going to blast 200,000 agents and cash buyers, you know, by next Tuesday with this property. Right. Just to get a lot of excitement going on it and, and get the surveyors out there this week and just hit it really, really hard. But also. We can also just slow bake it and then just leave this deal burning in the background for the next 18 months because there's no hurry. All right. Yeah. We'll just let it organically unfold slowly but surely while we're working on everything else. And you start off a new calendar year with you know almost a million on the books before wow. you even start the year. So James Zhang asked a question a little bit earlier. I want to come back to it, but um, he asked, can you go cover a little bit innovation and what that would look like if this was innovation? Okay. So our, our opportunity that was innovation in general. So I'll tell you right now, I don't know what innovation is. I'm not smart enough, right? But all it means is you, you partner with the seller. They let you come in, make the improvements, get it show ready, do all the marketing, all that stuff. And then you guys just uh, get paid at the end when the property sells. So we, we spoke to a guy today who does this with houses and he's doing pretty good with houses, but essentially you can pay more than what you could wholesale, but you're, cause they're essentially carrying the property like they are with taxes and insurance and mortgage if there's a mortgage and then you're bringing your asset to the to the to the table and selling it um as far as marketing um subdividing whatever whatever asset skill you have so you have the ability to make margin without putting up so, so much capital which is huge huge incentive because everything about roi is capital invested capital returned so if, if you can take down larger acquisitions without having to put up large capital that's when the, that's when you hit a really good uh, milestone here so for instance we have a larger deal with marvin that has a bunch of stuff on it that one we're trying to do innovation on it work with the seller just to parcel it off and work with the seller because it's, it's too much to take down with one person and one big wallet it's just too big 
Yeah, hence yep. the provider positioning and our partner. Correct, James. Angie asked, do you feel like there's a ton of value offering sages before it's listed on the MLS so they can share as a pocket listing? Um, I don't like coming in right before it's about to go to list because putting things on the MLS is like a, a, the biggest hope and the prayer that a seller and an agent team have. Yeah. Right. Because that's the only way that they know how to dispo. Yep. So yep. The, the agents already won the listing. The sellers already agreed to let them list it. And now they're going to put it on that pie in the sky, on that cloud to heaven. And that property is going to be sold like in 14 days and cashed out in 45 days. So that's the worst time to come in. When, and, and the agent might think that you're going to blow the deal for them by pitching all your crazy innovation crap. So if you're going to look for listed stuff, just go to stuff that's been listed for like 12 months and beyond. Those people are dying for a miracle. They've been waiting for your phone call for 12 months. So why, go, why swim upstream? I'm sorry. I was, I was talking about on the disposition side. So when you guys are looking to market properties. So when you, when, for instance, this deal that you have right now with Daniel, and you're talking about reaching out to agents right now, is that standard that you're always going to try and get this done off market, you know, with connections that you have rather than, you know, once you put it on market and it sits there for, you know, 30 days, whatever, it starts getting stale. If we thought it was worth, you know, 3 million, then everybody's like, well, it's obviously not worth 3 million because it's not sold or, you know, obviously you might not have had the right buyer come along, but just on the dispo side, do you feel like there's a lot of value being able to offer it saying like, Hey, that way they can go to their buyers and say, Hey, we've got, you know, 10 acres, 50 acres, whatever it is off market. If you're interested, because we know that, you know, some people obviously love to get an off market deal too. I just think there's a lot of moving parts there. And, and honestly, I'm not sure I fully understand your question. So you're saying like before they place a hundred acre ranch on, on market, we, I, we try to come in and do a, so what, I'm, so what I'm saying is like, so this is a property that you guys have, you're, you're buying, you're taking it down, you're subdividing, whatever. Okay. So you're going to sell, you're going to sell it now. And so rather than getting it listed right away, you're going to call, you know, your favorite, you know, agents, whoever, and say, Hey, we've got some 10 acre lots, some 20 acre lots, whatever. If you have some buyers, let them know. We've got off market yeah. property. So yeah, I'm just really. always try and, and do that and, and, you know, give people an opportunity to buy it off market before you maybe eventually bring it to market? I think the value that we provide, right? And we don't have a preferred buyer's list. We've never operated that way. We just go straight into the cold market. But I could see the value in reaching out to some agents saying, hey, let me give you a crack at this in case you have a buyer. But our philosophy goes, hey, like let's let's blast it out to 100,000 agents and 100,000 cash buyers. Now 200,000 people know about the property. And then if, they're, if they have interested buyers, I'll, I'll immediately call and say, hey, I got a 10-acre buyer. What can we do? And I'll say, hey, well, I just listed it, you know, for 170, but honestly, I could give it to you for 150. So you put whatever you want, right? So the, the investor can add five or 10, you know, to their price and it still looks good because it's 10 or 15,000 under list. I think that's more of the philosophy we subscribe to. And, and Angie, to further delve into that is we sometimes we'll run Facebook ads to target buyers in that area. So as soon as, as soon as we're ready to market the property, and we and this is where we wait till we have it flagged off and sur somewhat surveyed, and we kind of have a general idea of what the lots are going to look like. Then we'll send buyers out there because before we we can't necessarily send anybody out there if it's like, hey, it's going to be ten acres on this parcel. Now, which part? Like, I don't know. So we always want to make sure we at least have that that basic survey part of what part is going to be available. James asked, "How do you offer numbers change with Novation then, and how do you position it?" Sounds like a slight shift from doing an option period setup. What was the question? How do you offer numbers change with Novation? 
And how yep, do you so me and Daniel were doing novations before that became a, a, a cool term. And we, like I said, we probably don't even have the correct paperwork to do a, a proper novation. So when I'm coming into a deal, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of two things, ca immediate cash outlay and time investment. And that's all I really care about. That's the formula that I'm always going to uh, break out no matter what the scenario is. So if a seller is ready to move quick at a fire sale price, then I'd, I'd work a better deal with them. Right. So I know they have a property. They want a hundred. I know I'm going to put 10 or 20 or 30 into it or 50 into it. And then we'll turn around and sell it for double. He makes a hundred. I make a hundred. Right. And I, I know I can make this happen in a weekend or in 14 days. Well, then that makes me want to give the, the seller a bigger spread. Right. Yeah. Actually you get a hundred. I'll get a hundred. I'll put the money. You got the property. That's perfect marriage. But if it's a property that I know is going to be a slow mover and it's a well, and he wants way more than it's, it probably needs to get sold for. And he wants me to go in for a long ride with him. Then I'm going to want a bigger piece of the pie. All right. If I'm going to come in with 10 or 20 or a hundred or more. And then like, like this, like this perfect example, like the Somerset deal, I'm going to put a million in your property. All right. So I can make a million is, is, and it's going to cost me a year and a half of my time. Yes. Right. And, and at this point in my career, then I'm willing to wait, make that investment because it makes sense right now. But at the tail end of next year, I don't think I'm going to put a million into a deal in 18 months to make a million. All right. So it kind of really depends on what, what both of us are after and what makes us both happy in this deal. And, and I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer. Like I said, we, we pay for speed. And if we can make it happen quick and we need no capital, then we can give the seller 90% of the funds or whatever the number is. We can give them the generous portion because we're just going to provide the expertise, no capital, no property. But if we're going to provide expertise and capital and time, now there's a scale like where we're going to need a lot bigger return on our, on our investment because it's not just the cash anymore or the expertise. Now you're asking me for a significant amount of my time. And that's sometimes that's the, the piece of the deal that makes everything come apart is we just say we like the returns, we like the capital outlay, but we just don't want to invest four years into that development. We're just not going to do it. No, one thing I'll, I'll hit on with that is there's the sliding scale part of it. I think I've never heard it explained like that, but that 100% hits it right on the nose. What resources do we have to provide to the transaction and what don't we have to bring to the table or what do we have to bring to the table? And that's, that's just the simplest answer. Yeah, so this is what makes me feel like I have the right to, to help or, or try to buy or get in on any deal or any property because I, I don't really care what's in it for me. A lot of times somebody will send me a deal and they'll be like, well, how do I know what I'm going to get? And I'm like, dude, you don't even know if you have a deal yet. And you're asking me to invest my time to look at this piece of junk. So like back off, you know, like, whoa, hold on. So I, I block people for that because I'm like, uh, you, first you asked me to invest my time, right? My most valuable resource into your deal. And then he started bullying me with what's going to be my cut. I'm like, huh? Like this guy, he messaged me a deal. And I said, cool. You want to send me the address so I can take a closer look at it? And he goes, well, what's in it for me on messenger? I just blocked him. I didn't have any further questions, your honor. You know, so I think that's what it is. It, it makes me feel confident going into a deal. It's like, I want to provide an excellent, excellent service. If they need to raise capital to make this deal happen for their family, uh, we can find the capital if we don't have it on hand. Like we bring a lot to the table. So we just expect like, um, you know, that, that it's mutually beneficial for both them and us. And, and I always use this with sellers. Now I've been using this uh, line every single time. Now I've been uh, saying we both have to have the warm and fuzzies. <laughs> I say it exactly like that. You talk to somebody that has a $5 million ranch and you're like, sir, I want you to have warm and fuzzies after this call. Like literally. And I said, and if you don't feel like that, then I don't want to do the deal with you. Yeah. I use that, on the, yeah, I use that on the Lulin guy, the Lulin deal. That, three million. And this is where like the social media comes in 
will leverage the social media for that. I want them to have the warm fuzzies after they, after or even before they talk to us because I want them to know who we are. Like we're not gonna, we're not going to build that relationship on a on a hour on a twenty minute phone call. So I want them to go look and research us and and have the warm and fuzzies. That way we know we're we're having that transaction. We're having a good transaction. Like another good close, like the warm and fuzzies close, is uh, just telling them that we have to be friends, right? So now think what you're doing psychologically in this situation. You're telling the person that you're going to befriend them now, right? Like, look, sir, I don't want you to think of this. I use this on the Luling guy too. I don't want you to think of this a buyer-seller transaction because that's not what this is. I'm more of a service provider. I said, because I'm going to help you monetize a difficult-to-monetize property. I'm going to help you move something that's impossible to move. That's going to cost me a significant amount of time and capital. So what I want to do is I want to establish that you and I are going to be good friends for the next three to five years. And if I don't feel like we're a good fit, if you don't have those warm and fuzzies, then I probably don't want to do this deal either. Right? So again, it's like, hey, I'm probably not going to buy this anyway. Let me see if this fits my criteria. But also, I don't only want to vet the deal. I want to vet you. Because if you prove to be hard to work with, I don't want to help you. Think about the positioning there. If you want to buffer for a second, I have a tweet that I want to bring up. It was such it was a good one. Yeah, go ahead. Give me a second. I got to find it. It was one I sent you yesterday or this morning. If you guys are not on X, you should be. It's a good platform. If you follow awesome people like commercial real estate people, land people, there's a lot of cool personalities on X. If you're not networking on there, you're missing out on a huge part of your business career. So the tweet says, if you can't fund your equity, your lender has a guarantee and they have an underwritten guarantor. What happens when your lender can't find their loan advance? Did you underwrite your lender? Ooh, that was a lot of levels deep. It was, it was a couple of levels deep, but it was, it was a good one. It was a good one. Essentially, like if, you, if you're a partner, if you're going to do a, a long-term transaction with somebody, are they the right person you want to work with? I'll paste the link here for that one. You guys want to see the tweet itself. But yeah, it's a, it's a good tweet. And this is where like, I hope Daniel, who's here, who's doing the transaction with us, I hope he likes working with us for the next 18 months because we're going to be in this deal for the next 18 months or less, you know? So... I hope he's in it for the long run and everybody that works in the transactions is in it for the long run because this isn't going to happen overnight. This is another reason why you have to be a good uh, mentor and a good mentee, right? Because, again, somebody brings us a deal. This person's a little pushier. They're a little weird. You know, they, they don't tend to pull their weight. So it's like maybe you don't want to do a subdivide with that person for the next 24 months. Yeah. You know, that would be a, yeah. a very poor investment of your time and energy, you know, emotional energy, everything. So... Yeah, I think very important. Like when uh, Logan Fulmer and Ryan McDonald have been my mentor since my first deal. And I just asked Ryan for advice probably this morning or yesterday. And never will I show them weakness or bring them my troubles or my worries or, you know, have them stress about me being in their life. Every time I talk to them, it's all high fives and laughs. And, you know, I want them to pick up my phone because they know when they talk to me, it's going to be a good time. It's going to be funny. It's going to be cool. It's going to be insightful. But if I called them and just like bitched at them, like, man, I had eight cancels this month. I got burned for 480,000 in the last 90 days. You know, I'll be trying to hear that shit. Yeah. So yeah. it's just that two way mutual benefit of energy. So if you, if you're, if you're, if you're working with us, be in it for long. You have something to say, Marvin? I see you're unmuted. Yeah. I had a question about the agent commission. Sure. So I know they typically, like, if it's a listing, listing agent, they get the 3% by the seller so do you guys usually add another fee on top of that so what we do is 
we have agents on our team, but one thing we'll do to get that that seller's agent working with us is we'll tell them we'll give them for all the commissions because usually the deal has enough spread where we can pay our essentially our internal agent on the side more than they would just become being that agent. So we'll be like, hey, you can double in. We'll tell the the listing agent, hey, you can double in and get the full full agent commission just to make sure you you get the large upside of this transaction for making this deal work. Cause I know we're unorthodox. Gotcha. Thanks man. Yep. And that's one of the things we use. Cause I mean, the agents, they're always fighting over commissions. They're always fighting over commissions. So if, if you just forfeit it up front, they're always willing to work on your side. And like I said, our, our whole thing is we're always trying to get the seller on our side, the agent on our side, or both of them on our side, because the more people we have on our side, the, the more ease of a transaction we're going to have because we've had sellers where we were fighting with them back and forth and it's just not a, a transaction we want to be a part of. It just makes it, it makes it hard. So, and I'm really glad Anthony's like being direct with them. Like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to be in this till we finish this. And I hope you're okay with that. So it's, it's, it's a long-term transaction and we're trying to solidify that up front. Look, if you guys stay to the end of the call, I'm going to give you the biggest, most insightful game you're ever going to get on a land subdivision call for the rest of your life, probably. And I mean that modestly. Something that I've been through this year and the last year and a half has been pain. That's what's happened. Because the amount of stress on all these big deals, the amount of capital outlay, the timelines, the visits to the property, the driving time heading to the outskirts, it's very, very painful. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of energy. It's a lot of money. So something that you need to have these sellers appreciate is don't let them think for a second that their property is worth more than what you have. If Whether you have capital to allocate, whether you know people that you can raise capital from, right, and distribute that. If Even if you're, you know, you don't have a job right now, you're a stay-at-home you know, mom or you're a stay-at-home husband or whatever you're doing, no matter what you have, don't make the seller feel like that that piece of land or that asset that they have is more valuable than what you have because it is a very very finite exchange you know sometimes i'm into a deal with the seller and they're just like giving me so much grief i'm just like i'm just about to bail out of this deal i'll just rather lose the money just so i don't continue continue to have to have this this type of relationship so when you're talking to a seller i think that's something that you need to express and you need to be very very clear on is let the seller know hey sir you sound like a really nice guy you know, I can see how if things don't go your way, you can become abrasive quickly and you, you know, you might want to pivot and change your mind. Well, I can tell you something right now is that we're going to do this deal together. I know how to monetize it. I know how to turn it into cash flow or I know how to turn it into cash in a reasonable amount of time. But if I don't feel those warm and fuzzies with you and I don't feel like we're going to be able to be good friends for the next 12 to 24 months, I, I'm not going to do this deal at all. So what I want to know is do you have confidence in me to be able to get this done up front? And if you don't, then I'm not your guy. And you have to be able to say that. You, know, you have to be able to say that with confidence. And that'll, that'll change the conversation quickly where the seller is like, oh, well, I hope this works out with us. I hope you can get this done for me. Changes on a dime. And then you have a seller begging you to take the property. Yeah. You have to be willing to walk away and... and once the seller flips it on it, they're the best seller and they'll never have a problem with them ever again. <laughs> there you go. Yep. They'll become your best friend and then the deal goes easy. But when the seller thinks they're playing against you on the opposite side of the chessboard, they'll beat you. An old ass man will beat you for a hundred grand of earnest money without even thinking twice about it. 
mm-hmm. right, because, because you he got lazy or things weren't clear in the beginning and you were acting like you were buying for a firm. So let him know up front. Like, I'm going to go through a lot of pain and suffering to move this thing. But, you know, I don't know if I want to work with you yet. We'll get there. But let's talk a little bit more about the property. Um, Angie asked to clarify, your in-house agent submitted the contract. Yes. And you paid them on the side and gave listing agent permission. That's correct. Yeah. Our agent, they'll do the contract just because we like our contracts drafted a certain way. So our agents know that in-house the way we want to draft it. And then we'll, we'll set, we'll sacrifice the full commission to the, the seller's agent. That's exactly how we do it. Good call today. Any, any final questions? Good questions to James and Angie. Uh, good questions today. Marvin too. Bombs today is what James says. How does 0% interest get locked up? We just asked, we put it in the seller finance addendum. We don't mention interest. If you look at this purchase agreement, there's no interest. There's no interest even mentioned. We just put a flat rate, 4,500 a month for 18 months. So if you don't mention it, it doesn't exist. Equal payments. I hope, I hope, I think everybody's, I think everybody's been around long enough. You, you, you learn the language, equal payments, equal payments. You, you heard it on this call today. A brand new person who's been around us for less than like 45 days got a $2 million contract. Not have never been in real estate before. So that's going to do two things to this room, right? Some of the people in the room are going to be like, man, something's wrong with me or my approach. That's why I'm not getting it. And then somebody else in this room is going to be like, well, shoot, if he can do it and not know anything, I can do it too. So you got to make that decision tonight. Which one of those are you going to be? And then you just go out and do it. Yep, put the action to work, and we say it all the time, but action is what separates everybody else. So you just got to put the action up, and it's not overnight success, but you just got to put it. Uh, you got to put in the work, and you'll get there. And to to Daniel, to Daniel's defense, he's got a lot of sales a lot of sales experience, so that's probably to his benefit. So for everybody else here, don't don't compare yourself apples to oranges with uh, Daniel either. All right. I tell you, I tell you the, the the strongest tool you have right now, guys, is your resilience. Think in terms of like a carpenter that needs to build a house and all he has is a hammer for a tool. That guy's going to keep on pounding until that house is built or until his heart pops, right? And if you don't have that kind of work ethic, where you're just going to just keep cranking away until the magic happens, you were never going to make it anyway. Yeah, I'll go to CrossFit and I feel like my heart's going to explode, and I'm looking down at the bar and I'm like, man, I should pick that bar up because there's a 110 pound girl on my left that's still going. But in my mind, I'm like, if I pick that bar up, my heart might explode. Like literally, like I'll die. I'm, I'm not going to see my kids anymore ever again if I pick that bar up again. I look at the clock, look down at the bar, look at the girl next to me, F it, pick it up. And you keep on going, right? And then that, that workload, it transfers with you to your business. But if you don't exercise, if you don't push your body that way, you won't push yourself mentally that way either. Right, so that's why we harp on exercise in this room. I don't care what you do, but you got to have the stamina, you got to have the staying power, and you got to put in the reps. There's no shortcut. There's no, no there's nothing you can watch on YouTube that's going to teach you what picking up the phone is not going to teach you. There you go. All right, guys, have a blessed night, man. We love you. See you later.